This is Design School as a podcast for the growing designer. Those interested in design, starting their career in design, or looking for a reminder of why they went into design. This is Design School. On this episode, we talk to Jeff Barlow, who is a creative director at Boeing. He shares his insight about how doing design well requires putting in the time, the importance of the craft of typography, and how a continuous and complete design education requires being present in the real world. Jeff Barlow, thanks for joining us on This is Design School today. Uh, Really excited to have you here. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So to get the conversation started off, we wanted to ask you, um, what's your journey in design like? How did you discover it? And uh, what's that path been like? I didn't know what graphic design was when I was younger. I love to draw pictures. I love to draw. I love to draw band logos in high school. I mm-hmm. didn't realize I was touching graphic design, but I was. I wanted to be a photographer. I love taking pictures. I had a pretty decent camera. Uh, took photography classes in high school. Won a big award that was kind of exciting. And mm-hmm. So uh, as soon as I was done with high school, I wound up going to a community college down in the Bay Area, California, and. I showed up to sign up for classes and all the photography classes were full. And I, I just figured it's like an extension of high school, right? I needed a math class, an English class, a history class, and then some sort of elective and figured photography, all full, hmm, graphic art. I wonder what this is. And I signed up hmm. and I showed up to the class and we started by doing our own personal logo and we did a poster for like some sort of dance recital and we did a package for I can't even remember what, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. I am a graphic designer now, and I've never looked back. What was your logo? What was your personal logo? you still use it today? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens no. It was kind of a really bad drawing of a hand where the thumb made a J. Mm. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. Yeah, I, I would never show that to anyone. I don't. I certainly don't have it anymore. Went for a little bit and then uh, applied to, I started actually at Brigham Young University mm-hmm. and went through their foundations program and then you have to have, it was a four-year program, so you have to apply for the junior and senior level for the BFA level and uh, applied for that and actually didn't make it. Mm. They said, ah, your skills are a little weak, you're a little falling back in a couple of these areas. Uh, take these classes and apply again. So I did. I took those classes and I applied again and also didn't make it. And so I uh, transferred up to University of Utah and applied and they said, great, but your your background's a little different than what we look for, so we'll accept you as a sophomore. Here's here's the thing that I think is valuable and what, what was good for me is that when I knew I wanted to be a graphic designer, I knew I wanted to be a graphic designer and the fact that they pushed me back to sophomore three times, I, I didn't care. I still needed to do it. I kept pushing through and, you know, I couldn't have asked actually for anything better to happen to me because during my BFA level of design education, I was a little bit more mature. I started going to school because I wanted to learn things mm-hmm. instead of going to school because I felt it was I needed to check that box of a degree. and graphic design really came alive for me the conceptual side of it the visual side of it and uh i I actually my last two years of school i 
two and three years of school. I absolutely loved. So, yeah. Paid off in the end. It definitely paid off. Who would have thought? I know, right? <laughs> Reminds me of a guy I was going to school with. We had this big test coming up, and we all worked together, and we studied in this big group, and at the end of it, he took the test, and he came out, and he's like, man, that test was easy, and all I did was study. <laughs> we all looked at him, and we're like, huh, maybe there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> if only we could put two and two together. I know. Studied and then did well on the test. That's so weird. It's interesting because, I mean, in all the classes I've had where I've taught design or been a TA, the students are just like, God, this is a lot of work. And yeah. you're like, well, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. you got to put the work in to get it out. Well, I, I teach a, a class at the local design school here in typography. I actually teach three different classes in typography. Mm-hmm. And I always tell my students, if you're going to succeed in this class, in my typography two class, you're going to succeed in this class, you're going to spend... Uh, between four and eight hours a week outside of class, just working on it and pushing it. If you do that, you'll do well in this class. And the thing I've discovered is that that's not accurate at all. Mm -hmm. My students either spend way less than four or way more than eight, Mm -hmm. right? Well, from that story you were just telling, you know that sometimes there's that that drive that Mm -hmm. no matter what, I will continue, Mm -hmm. I will persist. My wife always says, you know, someone who's really talented, their talent isn't the ability to do the thing. It's the ability to not give up on the thing yes. and just keep doing it over and over and over again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your last few years of school were fantastic. They really, really enjoyed them. What was next out of that? Well, I got a job at the largest creative agency in Provo, Utah. Mm-hmm. There were 12 of us. <laughs> and... <laughs> We were doing some fun work. I really loved the people I worked with. And uh, I had a project for a pretty big worldwide recognized client. And it was gonna be on college campuses all across America. As the corporate world will do, the marketing director over the project, our client contact, got reorged. So we had a new contact. And the new person said, you can't get good work in Utah and just pulled the job. Never took a phone call from us, never looked at a portfolio, never did anything. And I was like, I wonder if I'm going to fight that my whole career if I stay here. So I opened up the old print regional design annual and I looked through and I really, really loved the work that was coming out of Seattle. So I packed up a portfolio, I sent out some letters and I came up here. I had a three day tour through all the agencies in in Seattle. I had kind of a top 10 list that I wanted to go to. And then when I went to those, I would ask, who else should I reach out to and I wound up having meetings with probably 15 or 20 different design studios of all different sizes and uh, wound up getting a a job at one of the bigger studios in town and moved the family up here. I had a wife and two kids at the time. My daughter was six months old. My son was two years old and up we came. I Hmm. didn't really have any connections up here, just really liked the design work and I thought this would be a good stepping stone to get me to San Francisco (laughs) because San Francisco is, you know, Everybody talks about how great design in San Francisco. And when I'd been here like two months, I was taking the bus headed from the Northgate area uh, down towards downtown Seattle and came up over the Ship Canal Bridge. It was a sunny day with the the sun shining on the Seattle skyline and there was a float plane landing on Lake Union and I was like, (laughs) I'm home. (laughs) And 
uh, yeah, I love it here. It's been a great place ever since. Yeah. So it sounds like when you got to the city, I mean, you didn't know anyone, but yet you managed to, to, to visit 15 places. Well, I got really lucky in that uh, one of my professors in at University of Utah mm-hmm. knew someone. Uh, Hornell Anderson had a tiny satellite office in Salt Lake City. And so I used that connection. And I went and talked to the lady who was running that and said, hey, I want to head up to Seattle. Would you be willing to introduce me to some of your people at Hornell? Yeah, absolutely. And so she introduced me to a couple of uh, senior design project manager folks there. And then I said, well, if I'm going around Seattle, what are the design studios I should go to? Mm-hmm. And uh, she gave me a list of 10. And when I so I sent mailers to all of those 10 with a resume and a brief sample of my work, et cetera, and made some follow-up phone calls. So when I came up here, I had, out of those 10, I probably had six appointments and then kept working on the others. And then the other said, well, have you seen the Puget Sound Business Journal book of lists? top graphic design studios in Seattle. And so there was a list of 25 there. So daytime, I went and did my visits. Nighttime, I went through that list and added some more people to talk to. And I just, any, anybody who'd talk to me, I'd take the time and do it. Do you think that's still possible to do today? Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I see a lot of students who work really, really hard on building themselves a website. And that's great. And I think they feel like everything relies on the website to get the job. And the thing I would say is you should have enough on your website that you have some credibility, but meet them face to face, look them in the eye, show them that you can, you know, that you're not a weirdo and that you're, uh, you can communicate with people face to face and that you can, you know, make human connections because graphic design is human connection. And you gotta be good at that face to face. If you're also going to do it on paper or on screen or whatever. So yeah, I think it's possible. You notice I went through a connection, right? I met somebody who knew somebody. When you know somebody, yeah. you know, it didn't hurt that McCray Magleby was my head professor who had a really has a really strong name in the graphic design world. And I say, hey, my professor McCray Magleby recommended that I call you. And they're like, oh, well, if Mac says I, he should call me, Mac knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And so it's it's, it's a relationship that foot in the game. door. Yeah. The relationship gets you in the door and then the work gets you the job, right? Yeah. So <laughs> AIGA was a great thing for that. I've yeah. been heavily involved in that here in Seattle. And you wouldn't believe some of the things I asked some really heavy hitters to do. And they're like, yeah, I can do that. I, I actually had Stephen Heller, the voice of the history of graphic design, yeah. call me back. And I was like, I've got <laughs> Stephen Heller on the phone. I don't know what. <laughs> Scary. And he yeah. was so nice. Yeah. It was fantastic. That's why we felt, I think, our one of our first really big interviews was Terry Marks. Oh, Terry and, Marks. And I love that guy. And I know Terry, you know, outside of the podcast, but still sending that email was like, will he say yes? And then he was in the room with us. And I'm like, I've only been in the room for like five minutes with him ever in my life. And, and here I am trying to have this interview. And I'm like, oh. Terry. Yeah. Terry's amazing. Yeah. I mean, so how do we do? Am I doing better than Terry? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, phew. We've laughed more than Terry did with Terry. <laughs> I, I don't believe that. <laughs> you don't get Terry in the room and not laugh. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I worked at, uh, well, the, the studio was called Team Design at the time, and now they're called Method, well, no, now they're called Digital Kitchen, but they were in methodology for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And, but that's where I got started, and uh, Janet, who was one of the principals there, she, you know, I, I owe her my a big part of my design career because she took a chance on, you know, 
little podunk nobody who had, mm-hmm. a, I guess, an okay portfolio. And I loved working there. I learned so many things there. And after about four years there, I got really excited and I was just young enough and dumb enough. And then another designer that I worked there with, uh, Mr. Tan Lee, he and I shared a lot of common goals, a lot of common ideas. And you're like, you know what? I think we could make it go and do this ourselves. And we started our own studio called grip did that for a few years. But, uh, you know, had I not gotten that start in the big city and had a chance to work with big clients and learn how the, you know, a real design studio works, never would have been able to do that. When you started something on your own, I imagine you probably realized you learned some things that maybe you didn't think you were learning. I think the most valuable skill I had that I learned from the big agency Mm -hmm. and that I also had learned in the smaller agency I was working for in Utah was that if you build a good relationship with a client, they will send you more work. (laughs) And so I, I, learned that skill and used that skill and was able to, if the client came to me with a single project, we'd talk to him, we'd do it, we'd do our best job as we could. And then we'd talk to him about, all right, well, where does this fit in the rest of your plan and how can we help? And so good, a good client with a good project would grow. Right. And so that's, that was the thing that gave me the bravery, the courage or the stupidity, whatever you call it to think, I don't need to work for somebody else. We can, I can do this on my own. And Tan and I both felt the same way and we did. And he was, we were both pretty good designers and he was really good at, uh, helping drive the design and, and really push our vision for design. And I was, uh, pretty good at building relationships with the clients. And that was a pretty good combination. We were able to have the business and the creative and the, the, the combination needed to grow pretty fast. We ran into a bigger, interactive agency who they had the interactive thing down really, really well. They were the leading edge of what was going on in Seattle and they had a lot of clients who needed print and brand. And so we would use each other and then eventually we wound up just merging. So I went from big agency to small studio back to big agency. It's been an interesting journey. I'm, I'm on a roller coaster, I think. Big, yeah. small, big, mm-hmm. small. And then I went to the small place uh, and then after I had done that for a few years, I decided I was going to branch out on my own again and just did my own sole proprietary kind of thing. Called it Jelvetica. Do you remember when you used to have to be invited to be in Gmail? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? The early years. And I had a friend mm-hmm. who was in Gmail. And I was like, yeah, you got to invite me. I want to be in the cool Gmail club. I want to have Gmail. So he invited me. And Jeff Barlow at gmail.com was already taken. And Jeff Barlow 1 and Jeff Barlow 2. And I was like, this is stupid. And I had just seen the Helvetica movie. And I'm very, very passionate about typography. And I was like... I should just do something that's typography related. Like, let's see, Jeff Helvetica, Jeff Helvetica, Jelvetica. <laughs> and so I got the, the Gmail, Jelvetica at gmail.com. And I thought, I wonder if the URL is available. And so, you know, went to one of the services, Jelvetica.com, available. So I bought it, having no idea what I was going to use it for. Sure. Yeah. And then I just worked for a couple more years at the place I was at. And then I was like, I'm going to branch out on my own. And I already have this. You have all Web's, the branding components. I already have this, this URL, so that's what I'll call my studio. So that's what I did. And uh, you want to hear, hear the next step of my career? So yeah. I had been doing that for a while. The big epiphany I had when I was running my own studio, and actually a little bit before that, was you know, when you're a young designer and you come out of design school, you have this, this idea that you've been trained and you're really good at what you do 
And if you've gone to a good design school, that's absolutely true. You have been trained and you are really good at what you do and you can create things. In fact, I love having a young designer on my team all the time because they're pushing into areas that I never would push because I'm a dinosaur, right? But you come out of design school and you, you feel pretty good about yourself. There's this, this confidence that you carry. And I used, when I was at that stage, I had this idea that I was the designer, I was an expert at design, and the client was the enemy, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> they would come to me because they didn't know how to design, so they needed it, and they would say, I want you to do design. And then I would use my expertise and my knowledge, my wisdom and my brilliance, I'm using air quotes on this podcast, mm -hmm. and I would say, make the greatest design possible, and then I would present it to the client, and then in my head, here's how it worked. Present to the client, then the client's job is to chip away at it, hack at it, and try as hard as they can to ruin it. And the hope is you can keep them, you can keep enough of the soul of the design alive by the time it prints that you're still willing to put your name on it. Yeah. Right? That's the way I saw the design process. And then, um, I, I keep plugging AIGA, but I can definitely credit an AIGA speaker who is talking about, you know, yes, we're good at design and we're brilliant and we're talented and that kind of stuff. But the real magic is in the client's mind. Those clients are experts at what they do. They're, they're uh, steeped in the brand. They've been living it every day. They know things that you don't know that if you can get those things to you know, throw those things on the table as part of your design equation, your design is going to be a lot better and your clients are going to be a lot happier. And so I started sort of taking that perspective. It's like, all right, let's sit down with a client and ask them some questions and let's really dig into their head and figure out what are they really all about? What do they really know that I don't know? And how can I use that? And the thing I discovered is that I had come up with some really good ideas as a graphic designer. And now that I was looking at the client from that perspective, I saw that they could throw a lot of things out on the table and I would look through those things proverbially and see the magic thing, not in what I thought of, but in what they had given me. And I sort of switched from being a creator as a designer to being more of a treasure hunter as a designer. Yeah, Sit with them, ask them the questions because they're gonna hand me the answer. I probably shouldn't tell them that or because if they realize they all have the answer, what are they going to need to come to us for? <laughs> no, but... You uh, become the interpreter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they'd had the answer in front of them for years and when they threw it on the table, we yeah. pull it... This is just kind of a side note. I used to get this all the time. I'd go into big meetings with big clients with lots of people and we'd have to get all dressed up and we'd go in there with the notepads and everything like that. And the client would start talking about what they're, what they're doing and what's going on and how important their business is. And I was just sitting there listening to them and I was looking at everyone else in the room and everyone else in there was writing all these things down. And I was sitting there listening. I was like, I don't understand why they're writing things down. I'm, I, what are they writing down? I'm, Should I be writing something down? Because <laughs> everyone's writing things down and... I just sit there and sort of be patient with it. And I, oh, oh, there we go. And I'd start writing something down and I'd look up and no one else was writing anything down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, boy, am I writing the right thing down? But I, I look for those things, those things that stand out. I would take them back and try and turn them into, uh, into design work. And when I was able to come back and say, well, you guys mentioned this and this and this. And when you said this, it sparked this. And so that here is the result. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's sort of a long way of me telling the story of 
starting to understand that those clients really had the treasures and it was just our job to find them as designers and then to interpret them. And what that did was make me want to learn more and more and more about my clients. Mm -hmm. The more I could learn about them, the better I could be. And that was about the time when Jelvetica was starting to go along. And then a friend of mine reached out to me from Starbucks and said, we're look, you're, I was the AIGA president in Seattle at the time. They reached out to me and said, we're looking for someone to lead an in-house uh, in-store promotions team at Starbucks. Who do you know through AIGA that might be good for this? Because I was running my own studio and I was pretty happy. I gave them a list of names mm-hmm. and didn't think much about it. And then after a couple of weeks, they reached back and said, this is great, but they want more and more names. Who else can you give me? And I said, well, give me a job description. And he gave it to me and I was like... I looked at it and I went and talked to my wife. I said, you know, the more and more I'm realizing I want to learn more about my clients. If I was in-house, I could really learn about my client because I would be my client, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I called back my friend who had reached out to me and I said, what if I threw my hat in the ring on this? And he's like, yeah, go for it. Fantastic. And I wound up getting the job and I led an in-store promotions team for like uh, six years there. Was it hard to walk away from something you'd built? It was. It was really hard. Uh, it was really nice. It, it, the timing couldn't have been more perfect because yeah. I had just come off a huge load of work that had uh, wound down and sort of been finished, completed, whatever. Yeah. I had done a lot of things. When I was doing my own thing, I... I was kind of an accordion, expand and contract. And uh, I had a lot of freelancers that I brought in for some big projects. And then I would let them go when the project was over. And I was exactly at a point where it was me and an office manager who was working with me because she loved being in the design part but wanted to move on to other things mm-hmm. anyway. So it was like the perfect time. So yeah. I it, I couldn't ask for it to be better. So it was tough. Uh, I had to walk away from my studio in Ballard, which was fine because my lease was up. About that time, mm-hmm. uh, I had to walk away from the gelato store next door. That was even oh, tougher because yeah, that yeah. place is amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so I joined Starbucks and uh, never looked back. It was really fantastic. And uh, then after being there about six years, thing came across my desk that said Boeing was looking for a creative director. And I've always really, really admired Boeing. And they're the type of company that has changed the world so many times, right? Oh, yeah. And... I don't know if you've ever read the book Built to Last. It's a fantastic book about what makes a great business run well. And and, uh, Boeing is all through the pages of Built to Last. And I had read that book several times and I really liked it. And uh, when an opportunity to work at a company that was in Built to Last that had all these attributes of, you know, changing the world so many times and being such a successful company. I mean, they changed the world with this the 707. They changed the world with the 727. They changed the world with the 747. They've recently changed the world with the Dreamliner. Um, they're building the rocket that's going to go to Mars, for crying out loud. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And so when that came along, I was like, my mom is one of my great advisors, and she said, uh, if, you, if you have an opportunity for, to interview for a job, whether you want it or not, take it. It's really good experience. It's really good to get to know those people. You never know what's going to go on. So I, I put my portfolio together, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to land this job at Boeing, but it'll be good for me to try. You know what's interesting hearing you talk about that? What? I feel like that's exactly the way I felt. And like almost every job interview I've had, it's like, 
you go, you have a conversation with either like a good friend or your parents and they're like, well, just do it. It'll be good experience. Like, nah, 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 nah. And it's like, here you are, like, you know, well, a very successful designer in, in your career and you're feeling the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't think I had a shot at it. I mean, yeah. Boeing's doing some great really? stuff. Near as I can figure, there was some sort of computer glitch and I was the only applicant. <laughs> and, and that's been a great experience. Yeah. Uh, the creative studio at Boeing is really in uh, an upswing right now. And they've they've had that talent in-house for a lot of years. But um, just the business climate of the world has changed in the last 10, 5, 10 years in that companies are realizing the value of brand, of having creativity at the leadership level and the importance of creativity in making your business go forward because you can't do business as usual the mm-hmm. way it was done 20 years ago. And Boeing is a company that has really realized that. And because of that, the creativity portion of Boeing has really grown and strengthened. And I feel like I'm, I've been able to jump on right on the wave when it's really, there's really great stuff happening. Do you feel that you still have that same sort of passion that you did in college? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've, I've done a lot of teaching, yeah. uh, typography classes and stuff like that. And I think that has really, because I've seen a lot of students really blossom and you know, when you see the light come on and somebody, it's pretty awesome, right? They come back like, ah, I get it. Right. Yeah. That (laughs) aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. Typography. Yes. Typography. So how did you learn typography? (laughs) Well, typography is something everybody's always learning but uh the the first place the light really came on for me with typography was in uh when i was at brigham young university uh the teacher said we're gonna have a guest lecturer here and come give our two-hour class on typography next week so be sure to be here for that and i was like what how could anyone possibly talk for two hours about typography and not be super boring this guy showed up and he started talking his type talk and I'll, I'll never forget. He laid out this book that he had done and he's like, I had, I did the typography on this book and there was an opening spread and it just had two words on it. It was, I think it was like American illustration or American illustrators or I can't remember what the words are, but I remember that, the word American was in it and that the second word had the same number of letters as American. He said, now the obvious thing to do would be to put these two in here, stack them up and just line up all the letters. The A goes with the first letter. The M goes with the second letter. He says, but look, these letters are all different widths. So I did the letter spacing on this one so that it was right. And then the letter spacing on the one below it so that it was right. And I made them line up on the end. And so the type works beautifully. And I was like, that is so cool. Because <laughs> it would be obvious, but if you've got an M on the top word and like an I on the second word, it's really going to be out of balance because that one letter is so narrow. Mm-hmm. And when he showed us that, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then something else he said was, you know, you should really get a good at get good at typography if you're going to be a graphic designer because every project you work on your whole career is going to have typography it may or not may not have illustration it may or may not have photography it may or may not have color but it's always going to have typography so get good at typography and that's where i was like from that point i just i i really self-studied about type anything i could do to learn about it you know you know 
now to the point where I've been teaching typography at uh, at SVC here in Seattle. I just if you I had one of my students, one of the most proud moments. One of my students said, "You know, with all this stuff you're saying about typography, I'm I'm thinking if you get this typography part down, you're kind of about ninety percent there." I was like, "Yes, uh-huh. exactly." <laughs> Welcome to design. Yeah. <laughs> It's so important because design is all about the idea and the typography is so powerful at delivering the idea. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's so critical delivering the idea. What, I mean, even when you teach or when you were back in school, what was the most impactful book on typography that was helping you when you were self-learning or now teaching? Um, teaching, I really love Ellen Lupton's Thinking with Type book. Mm-hmm. Because it it takes some abstract principles and really makes them easy to understand yeah. and easy to teach. I actually use even a couple of the exercises in her book with my Typography One class. Mm-hmm. In fact, the the student who did the twenty three hour project uh, that was that was one of the projects out of that book. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just couldn't stop. That's good. <laughs> of course, I used the Bringhurst book. Of the course, Elements yeah. of Typographic Style. No one would dare call themselves a typographer and not have that on their shelf. The The principle I've been driving home a lot is something that I kind of pieced together from all of the different stuff that I've read. And it's this idea of whole brain typography, hmm. like right brain, left brain, analytical versus emotional, utilitarian versus expressive. And looking at your typography from that perspective, it's like, all right, if I'm making a poster, I'm definitely going to need something that's expressive in the type. But if it's a poster for, for example, a band gig or a symposium on architecture, I've also got some utilitarian stuff because people need to know the date, the time, they need to be able to find where it is, all that kind of stuff. And so Mm -hmm. how do I draw this balance between left brain type, right brain type, utility type versus expressive type? And uh, I've had a lot of fun with that recently. Interesting. So earlier you are talking about... um you know, as you've gotten to be a creative director and you're working with younger designers now mm-hmm. and how you've really enjoyed that because they bring something new to the table. What's it been like working with designers younger in their career and seeing where they're at in school? I feel like that kind of gives you an idea of where kind of design education is. And mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they're coming from all over the place. But sure. Generally, where do you feel are the strengths and weaknesses of where you see that today or like what your impression of that is of designing education, design education. Yeah. And, and like where young designers are at coming at coming out of that. It's interesting. Cause I, I teach at SVC. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, also, yeah. I don't know if you're aware that I'm also on the uh, advisory board for the design program at Western. And so I get together with them on a fairly one, well, on a once-in-a-while basis where they're like, all right, here's what we're doing with our curriculum. Yeah. Is this helping our students be ready for their careers? Yeah. And uh, th- uh, there are a lot of the design schools around here who do a really good job, who are pushing students into territories that I'd never even thought of mm-hmm. You know, when I was a young designer. And I, I think it's great because it's great to see that cutting edge and how they're able to use technology, how they're able to use the access of information mm-hmm. to, uh, to push design to another level, to get to, you know, the skill to get to the craft faster. Um, the downside of that, that I've really seen is, you know, a lot of times we'll do a, 
when a project first starts and you have to get the concept figured out, maybe you go do a, a mood board or something like that. I want something that feels aggressive and edgy, mm-hmm. or I want something that feels serene and peaceful. Go away, make a mood board of that, right? And you send 10 designers out and you get 10 mood boards that all look the same hmm. because all the, they all went to the same websites, went to the same pages yeah. and pulled, search used the same search terms and they all found the same things. Crack open a book for crying out loud, right? You know what? Walk through a, an open air market. Find your inspiration somewhere besides that stupid internet. Yeah. Uh, the phone's a great thing, but sometimes you can put it down. <laughs> yeah. Find some original thinking. Yeah. Sorry, you got me soapbox in here. But so I think the place where it falls down is the information is too easy to access and they're finding things so everybody's finding the same thing. But do you think that that's also part of the way that we are teaching? Well, if if I were, you know, king for a day and could grant it, I wouldn't worry so much about the projects that wind up in the portfolio. I would work really, really hard on the way the designers think, right? What are you thinking about? What is your thought process? What is your idea generation approach? The thinking you have to do to do an annual report is so valuable because you have to figure out what is really important about this company and what is it about this year for this company and how can I deliver that, right? Mm-hmm. now. Yes, you can deliver that information in an annual report. You could also put that in a website. You could put it in a trade, an approach to a trade show display. So if you can do the thinking that builds a good annual report, you can do the thinking that marks a bit, markets a business well. So Jeff, we are doing something new this season. Uh, we're doing a recommendations list. Of- okay kind of fun things quick if you want or uh, you can expound. or you can expound on them if you'd like um so are you are you game sure them? okay i hope i have what you're looking for so our first one is uh what is the favorite type of sketchbook that you have i actually work with a lot of different sketchbooks yeah. uh, i keep one in my pocket that is a stillman and burn that I, I got one of these at uh, a sketch workshop I went to, and I liked it so much I bought multiples. Um, I use a moleskin for a lot of my stuff. It's just the right size. It's not pocket size, but I can carry it places. Do you prefer pocket size versus a, a larger? Different purposes. Um, yeah, I love a moleskin sketchbook. I wish they had a decent sketchbook that would really hold a Ticonderoga two pencil. Well, mm-hmm. they just, they don't have one. Uh, the moleskins yeah. sometimes have a little pencil holder. that's just big enough that you think your pencil is secure and then it's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you see me, uh, I'm 99.9% of the time. If you see me, I've got a yellow pencil behind my ear. In fact, you guys can see, you can't see this in the podcast, but see my ears. Mm-hmm. This one's different. You can actually see there's a notch where my pencil goes. Can you see it? <laughs> yeah. This one goes out just a little uh, bit further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have literally affected my physical appearance because I have a pencil up behind my ear so often. Well, that leads me to my uh, next recommendation. How do you, um, what do you do to, to unwind or to stay creative? I love everything about graphic design and I love it as a job and whatever. And, and, but the thing that I've been doing lately that's been just really a lot of fun started with, uh, I took a, went to an AIGA workshop where the guy who does the Seattle daily sketch, uh, Gabby Campanario, I think I'm saying his last name correctly, 
but he does a sketch in the PI every day and you see him all the time. He gave this urban sketching workshop and we went out and sketched a bunch of things and I go, this is really kind of fun. And so I started doing that just on a side note basis. I was going someplace cool. Like I'll bring a sketchbook and see if I can get one or two sketches. Did that for a couple of years, once or twice a year. And then I had a friend who was a, a musician and said, come to our gig. And I was like, okay. I thought, well, I'll bring a sketchbook along. And so I brought it and I thought, oh, I'm going to draw the band members while they're, while they're playing their music and started doing it. And it was terrible. They just kept bouncing around and jumping and they're doing all this crazy stuff. I was like, I can't get a drawing of this. Finally, <laughs> the, the lead guitarist also had a mandolin that was on a little stand on the stage. I drew that because it held still. <laughs> that looks really nice, but they bounced around. And then I wasn't done drawing and wasn't ready to go home. And they were coming towards the end of their set. And I thought, well, if they're going to jump around and be crazy and loose like that, what if I just waited till they start their next song? I'm going to take my pencil, I'm going to take my sketchbook, and as soon as they start, I'm going to start drawing, and I'm going to draw the whole band in one song and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So they started playing, and I started sketch, play, 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 sketch, 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 play, 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 sketch, sketch, sketch. Song ends, I pick up the pencil, I look down, and I was like, huh, you know, that's not bad. And so for the last probably two years, I have been going to band gigs at least once a week, and there's usually three bands in the gig. I, I do small venues so I can talk to the bands after, and I draw the band in one song. And I usually get 20, 15 to 25 drawings in a night. And it's been really, really fun. That's, That's pretty awesome. Keeps the energy going. Yeah. Yeah. So piggybacking from the, the, the sketchbook to creativity and drawing. Mm-hmm. To drawing music, mm -hmm. the the last recommendation we're going to ask for you is: what's the best album to design to? Um, the best album to design to. Uh, well, it depends on what kind of design, doesn't it? I suppose it does. <laughs> um, I really like. I, I got to go with the Beatles. And I'll put the Beatles on to just play in the background, partially because I've listened to the Beatles so many times that I don't get over analytical with it and it won't take away my concentration, but it keeps things going. Mm -hmm. um, Pink Floyd is also pretty good too, because it's just nice and neutral. Mm -hmm. um, anything too energetic, you know, if I put in like, uh, like if I put in something by this newer band called Naked Giants, their music is fantastic and it's super energetic and I catch myself going, all right, I'm not going to design. I'm just going to listen. <laughs> so I like stuff that, that goes back. In. And if I had to say favorite Beatle album, I'd have to go Abbey Road. Yeah. I love Abbey Road. The backside of Abbey Road is one of the greatest accomplishments ever. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be included on the list with, with Terry Marks. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> Holy cow. He's a good guy, and, and uh, so are you. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. This is Design School is recorded in the field where design happens. The music for This is Design School is composed and recorded by Michael R. Clark. You can find Michael online at musiclabtacoma.com. For additional information about each episode, visit thisisdesign.school. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to hear in the future. Follow the podcast on Twitter at TIDS Podcast. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and share us with your designer friends. Bye for now.